Our New Testament reading comes from the book of Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Listen now for the word of God. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you were reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) This past May, I led a group of Union students, alumni, and friends of the seminary to the Middle East, along with Francis Taylor Ginch and Joshua Ralston. Molly and Luke Spangler were among those who went. First, we went to Turkey, where we had some amazing experience learning about the rich history of Istanbul and tracing the footsteps of Paul in such ancient cities as Ephesus. When walking through columns from the Greco-Roman period, one can really imagine what it must have been like for Paul, bravely taking his message about Jesus Christ to a complex society that knew nothing of the stories we read every week in church. The bulk of our time was in Israel-Palestine. We spent about a week in Jerusalem seeing the important sites and meeting with persons of all stripes, Palestinian leaders who could articulate the plight of Christians in the West Bank, Israelis working for an organization called B'Tselem that focuses on human rights, and more moderate Israeli leaders who called our attention to the sufferings of their family members and friends from terrorist bombings. The Union group made it home just weeks before the latest war began, and like all of you, we grieve the loss of life this summer and the current tragedy unfolding in Syria and Iraq. One amazing aspect of the trip occurred during our time in Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Our stay coincided with a visit from Pope Francis to the Holy Land. There were banners everywhere welcoming welcoming him to Jerusalem. The streets were lined with flags and ribbons. 
There was a buzz in the air unlike anything I have ever experienced as religious and political leaders of all stripes prepared to welcome His Holiness. One evening during his visit, Pope Francis dined with the various patriarchs of the Orthodox churches just steps away from our hotel in the old city of Jerusalem. We got to chat with Catholic cardinals in the street. I still have a smile on my face from him asking me in French how I compared the weather between Richmond, Paris, and Jerusalem and me being able to converse a little bit. Uh, we got to see all the Vatican security officials and the Pope paraded by our hotel. I've never seen security like that which the Swiss Guard provides. We witnessed Christians coming to Jerusalem from all over the world to see the Pope. One of the most special events for believing Christians in Jerusalem is the nightly closing of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, a cavernous medieval structure and the traditional site in the old city of Jerusalem associated with Jesus' crucifixion and the tomb where he was buried. The night before the Pope's visit, we went to the church and the atmosphere was electric. For centuries, two Muslim families have been entrusted with the keys to this holy site, and they open and close the doors each morning and evening in a moving ceremony. The night we were there, religious leaders of all stripes were milling about, and we saw them filing out of the church as brothers and sisters in the faith, clearly in a state of excitement and anxiety about the Pope's visit the next day. I will post some pictures of this scene on the Second Presbyterian Church website so you can get a taste for the different hats, the colorful garb, and the many Christians who were present for the Pope. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre has many different faith communities and quadrants or quarters run by different Christian groups. There are Franciscans with a Catholic presence in the church, Ethiopians, Armenians, Syrian Christians, Coptic believers, and Greek Orthodox priests and community leaders. One can find dozens of nooks and crannies associated with these various traditions. When I first visited the church in 1994, I did not experience wonder. The place seemed ostentatious and foreign to me. I didn't understand the incense, the big hats, the crowds, and the, and the iconography that was so different from what I had known as a Presbyterian growing up in the American Southeast. The atmosphere is usually chaotic, and it can be hard to find a spiritual moment in the midst of tour groups, simultaneous worship services in different languages, and lengthy lines to see the tomb area. It did not feel like a solemn sight to me, but rather an annoying marketplace of activity. Yet the last few times I've gone with the seminary, I have developed an appreciation for the wonder of this church, its diversity, and the manner in which Jerusalem has always been abuzz with activity ever since antiquity. The Jerusalem of Jesus' day was a mecca for visitors, especially because it was comprised of large marketplaces, diverse Jewish believers, Roman officials and soldiers. I have come to appreciate the busyness of Jerusalem. We often think of the solitary nature of Jesus' life and ministry, but the reality is that his days were spent in the company of many individuals and groups. Today the church is truly a wondrous place, and a visit makes one appreciate the diversity of Christianity. Ever since the split between the Western and Eastern churches and what historians call the Great Schism of 1054, many in the West have viewed the Orthodox tradition with skepticism. 
And the Reformation and subsequent events brought about some persistent tensions between Catholics and Protestants. Yet a walk around the Church of the Holy Sepulchre can erase those dividing lines. Our union group chatted with Ethiopian Orthodox priests who literally live in straw huts on the roof of the structure and take care of the small Ethiopian quarter. We saw Franciscan nuns milling about getting ready for the papal visit. Yes, there is hierarchy. Yes, there are tensions among these various groups. And yes, this, this can be a cramped and uncomfortable place. But the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, with all its history, zaniness, and diversity, diversity sitting in the heart of a beautiful but contentious city, reflects the beautiful tapestry of our Christian tradition and the Jewish roots of Jesus' life and ministry. It is a tribute to the fact that there is no east or west in Jesus Christ. There are approximately 2.3 billion Christians in the world. And according to a Pew Research study, 50.9% are Catholic, 36.8% are Protestant, a category that includes a wide variety of subsets, and 11.9% are Orthodox. Now suppose we take that 2.3 billion and we generously estimate that there are 2 million Presbyterians in the United States who call themselves part of the PCUSA. I pulled on a percentage calculator this week on the web and discovered that that means that the approximate percentage of PCUSA members who are part of the global body of Christians works out to 0.087%. Such a a statistic might ingrain in each of us that we are part of a much larger entity of believers. As we have painstaking debates over matters that seem of incredible, incredible import, perhaps that statistic might impart in us a dose of humility. While the decisions we make as a church and denomination are important and we should take them seriously, we are also part of a much larger religious tradition with immense complexities and diversity. The scriptures remind us repeatedly that the world is a big place. It's only appropriate my mic go live, even more live as I'm talking about Psalm 19. (laughs) Sounding a bit more like God. Um... We, o- <clears throat> we only inhabit a small corner of this grand creation. Through timeless words, our Old Testament reading this morning declares the vastness of the Creator's work. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims His handiwork. Such verses highlight the magnitude of our God's creative activity and our inability to fathom its immensity. This does not have to be a cause for panic, but rather a sense of shared wonder among us. The opening verse of Psalm 19 leads me to a favorite quote from Carl Sagan. For small creatures such as we, the vastness is bearable only through love. The vastness of the creation reminds us to treasure the friendships we have throughout the globe. Friends, today on World Communion Sunday, we remember believers throughout the world with whom we share love and fellowship from the friends some of you have made with the church in Malawi, to the many dear friends of Robert Johnson and Marianne Vermeer in Pakistan, to our connections with the Presbyterian Church in Korea, our various partnerships in Central America, 
to the connections many of us have with Palestinian Christians in the West Bank. And the list goes on and on. Through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we celebrate not only our Savior's gracious acts on our behalf, but the many believers not present with whom we share the bonds of Christian koinonia, of fellowship. Earlier in the year when we had worship at Union Seminary, Brian Blunt preached an amazing sermon to Second Presbyterian members on the account of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, 26-40. Of course, this story demonstrates the availability of God's gracious mercy in Jesus Christ to anyone who has faith, and it does so in an important way. The Ethiopian eunuch was a dignitary, but also a foreigner, not someone you would expect to receive the attention of a church leader like Philip. Not a figure you would expect to see reading the book of Isaiah in his chariot and trying to understand its meaning. The author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, the same person, by the way, subverts our expectations by providing heroes and protagonists from the unlikeliest of corners, the Good Samaritan, the poor widow who gives freely from her meager provisions as a sign of benevolence, and this eunuch who demonstrates faithful curiosity during his brief encounter with Philip. Let's be careful before we stereotype the eunuch too negatively. As one of my colleagues in the field of biblical studies, Steve Davidson, explains, the Ethiopian here is highly literate and well-connected to the powers that be in Ethiopia. He's a noble. He comes from powerful, a powerful family, and he invites Philip to sit in his chariot so that they can reflect on the meaning of Isaiah together. As they sit and talk about the scriptures, they ask more questions of each other than they answer. Together they share, together they engage. Together they trade questions and speaking, questions and proclamation. What this lone Ethiopian official traveling the road back home needs comes in the form not simply of a traveling companion, but of a fellow reader of Isaiah and sacred scripture. That companionship makes understanding possible because in our togetherness, in our community, in our living side by side, we understand how this word of God addresses us in our human need, our human struggle, in our life together. Sacred scripture means little apart from community. Sacred scripture has little to commend it if its only concern lies in the individual pursuit of happiness and the accumulation of selfish gain. The Ethiopian official and Philip seek mutual understanding of each other and this sacred text, and as a result, they become brothers in the faith. Antiquated interpretations of this passage have suggested that the lighter-skinned Philip, the insider, comes to save this dark-skinned Ethiopian heathen, and that Philip comes away from the encounter unchanged, but the Ethiopian is saved by the kind disciple. This is such a faulty reading of this important story in the book of Acts. For both Philip and this Ethiopian official share a sacred moment in the chariot as they read scripture together. And the narrative invites us to believe that they grow together in their faith. At the end of the day, each of them leaves this encounter a transformed individual. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, both Philip and the eunuch have been brought closer to Jesus Christ and they now share a type of fellowship that can never be broken. Neither of them will ever be the same again. This is a great model for us on World Communion Sunday. 
At the table of our Savior, we are invited not just to welcome, but also to seek out brothers and sisters who are different from us, to celebrate our common bond as Christians, and to remember that the table of Jesus Christ is for all believers. In the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, it doesn't really matter all that much who does the baptizing, who is baptized. (coughs) Rather, it matters that these two individuals find community in their shared love for the message of Jesus Christ. Skipping ahead to the present day, it doesn't really matter all that much who officiates at the next baptism or which elders today are responsible for communion. The importance of the sacraments on a day like today lies in our willingness to sit at table table with believers in every place, regardless of their background. Both Philip and the eunuch provide us with a very helpful model in this regard. And yet today, at the end of the sermon, we remember that not all Christians are able to celebrate the Lord's Supper freely and safely. Our fellow believers in the Middle East have seen relentless persecution in recent months and weeks, especially in Iraq. Those Christians who have lived in the region of Kurdistan, in an area called the Nineveh Plain, have lost their homes and livelihood. And just as important, they have lost the Christian communities that have sustained them for centuries. Last December, December, churches were bombed on Baghdad and 34 people were killed as they were leaving Christmas Day services. We, we, we would be remiss on World Communion Sunday if we did not lift up these believers in dangerous situations, offer prayers for their safety, and take concrete steps towards creating a world in which all persons might seek to glorify Jesus Christ without fear of injury. Even as we pray for persecuted Christians in Iraq, Syria, and elsewhere in the world, we seek to work towards justice, peace, and reconciliation in our immediate community. We rejoice that so many VCU students in our fellowship program and other members of Second Presbyterian came out yesterday to support Hands Up Ministries, helping families just steps from our church find affordable housing. We remain committed to our walk-in ministry, Partnerships with Caritas and Chimborazo School for the many people at Second involved in risk and so many other pursuits. As we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we affirm our conviction that such activities work toward the inbreaking of God's kingdom and signify efforts, however imperfect, to model the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Through such efforts, we experience transformation just as Philip and the Ethiopian official did in that chariot, just as we do whenever we break the, pass the bread and the cup and give thanks for our shared fellowship with Christians around the world. For in Christ, there is no east or west. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal God, By your Holy Spirit, help us to leave lives of mutual transformation. As we prepare to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we pray for those Christians everywhere, for our brothers and sisters in the faith, and for the wondrous day that World Communion Sunday is, both at Second Presbyterian Church and around the world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.